Tara Cohen, the Director of Marketing at Lawrence Hope, joined me on the podcast today. Tara is a previvor with an identified BRCA2 mutation that was discovered through 23andMe. She shared her experience of finding a benign lump, the diagnostic testing she had to undergo repeatedly, the toll that it took on her mental health, as well as the complications that she experienced following a prophylactic bilateral mastectomy. Tara also talked about the importance of medical ID bracelets, specifically as they relate to breast cancer and lymphedema. Take a listen in. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. Welcome to the show, Tara. I'm so happy to have you with us today. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your story. Um, you know, I want to kind of hear where all of this started for you, how this this kind of came up. Um, your, your story is pretty interesting. So I think it's going to be uh, really great for a lot of our listeners. Oh, thanks. I am. Um, I back in 2018, um, for Black Friday, I thought it would be a really fun idea to get a 23andMe kit. Um, uh, it was on Black Friday sale, and I had wanted to do that for a while, and I just thought that'd be super fun. Um, so I did that, and I was waiting on my results. And um, a couple days after uh, after New Year's in 2019, um, I found a lump in my left breast. And so I kind of went that, – that whole month was, of course, doctor's appointments, biopsy, um, you know, that whole – process and how, you know, just really paralyzing that is. Well, did you, um, I'm going to pause real quick. Did you think yeah. of any, like, did you, were you concerned about the lump? I mean, obviously you went to the doctor. I was doctors, very but... concerned about that. Yes. Okay. Um, I was very concerned because we have um, a history of, of, you know, a variety of cancers in my family. And, um, and I'm also um, Ashkenazi Jew. And so, you know, Ashkenazi Jews have higher rates of breast cancer than the general population. And, um, and so I, I knew that I had a higher risk. And so I'm always careful about doing, um, you know, my own self exams. And I've always been quite mindful of that. Um, So finding that lump when it was something that was definitely different than what I had ever felt before during a self exam was quite alarming to me. Um, And what was interesting to me is I remember identifying that lump and thinking how my whole life I've been told do self exams, do self exams, but then they don't really tell you like, what are you actually looking for? Yeah. Um, what, how do you know if it's a lump? Right. How do you know or... what is that? Yeah. And um, so I kind of tried to see if I were, if there was symmetry on the other side, if that was structural and I just, I couldn't quite identify it. So um, I was super fortunate and able to get in right away uh, for a mammogram um, and an ultrasound, and they ultimately said there were actually a couple of structural abnormalities, and they wanted to biopsy. Okay. Um, And was that your first mammogram? That was not my first mammogram. Um, Because we have um, such a strong family history of um, of cancers in the family, I actually had my first mammogram at 30. Okay. And I think a lot of uh, women 
don't know that, um, that you can do that. Right. You know, the, of course the recommended age, um, is, is a little older, but when you do have family history, um, you know, at least in, in my case, I was able to get a baseline mammogram, um, as a younger woman. And that was, you know, that was helpful at the time to know that I had that information handy, um, yeah, especially as someone with larger and uh, fibrous breasts, it was helpful to, uh, to radiology to have something to compare against. Right. Good. So in that process of, um, identifying that lump and having, a, a mammogram and then an ultrasound and then going in for biopsy. Um, you know, it took about two or three weeks to go through that entire process and get all of my results in. And I was so, so fortunate to find out that that was, um, a benign mass. Um, the recommendation that I received, uh, was that I go in and see a breast surgeon anyway, uh, because the mass was large and they felt like it could mask cancer kind of if something developed behind it. And so I should seek out a surgical consult to ensure that it didn't need to be excised anyway. Yeah. So Uh, did they tell you how big the lump was at that point in time? um, They did. But there were, I think, three odd, odd little uh, areas. And, um, and so, uh, you know, off the top of my head, I remember it had a a very fancy name. Um, and I, I won't I feel like, like anything I think that's I remember res- how to say it, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I am not a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just remember going like, you're telling me it's, it's not cancer. And they're like, it's not cancer. I went, great. I yeah. will follow up with a surgeon, but this is just the best news. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Well, I do feel like anything that's associated with lumps or, you know, anything that's potentially cancerous should never have a fancy name. Yeah, it really shouldn't <laughs> because you can't take in that information. It's really too, um, it, it's, it's such an overwhelming time oh, to yes. be in that diagnostic space. Everything should have very simple names. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, yeah, I would, I would definitely echo um, that same thing. I know that there was language that was thrown at me that I was just like, I don't even know like what you're talking about. Um, you know, I did a lot of Googling. Mm-hmm. Which was either, I don't know, depends on your perspective, um, you know, because you can easily go into a rabbit hole with that. Yes. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, took a lot of the information. I always requested copies of any reports that were being done. And mm-hmm. yeah, they, um, I would th- then just take it and then Google the information that I didn't yep. know what that meant. So, yeah. I absolutely did that. And, um, and I wanted to be careful to not, you know, try to, you know, uh, how do I say that? Um, I wanted to be careful to not imply that my Google search was in any way equivalent to my, any of my doctor's experience and knowledge. (laughs) But when I Google searched, my goal was to gain some basic understanding so that I could ask informed questions. Right. Yes. And, um, and that, that was helpful to me in, in those moments to understand what those terms meant and to understand how frequently those things are precancerous to understand what types of questions to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as, yeah. as we went through, uh, through that process, I'm not, um, when after that, um, I, I, th- I said, okay, you know, I'm going to give myself a week or so to just kind of calm down and then I'll, I'll follow up with the surgeon. Um, and I was so fortunate because my, um, I work for Lawrence Hope Medical ID and my, um, our CEO and founder, Leanne Carlson is a breast cancer survivor. And, um, 
And so thank God um, she was so fortunate and her breast cancer was identified at a stage zero. Um, and she was able to, uh, she was able to receive treatment for that in 2014. And, um, and so I, I was able to just literally walk down the hall at work and say, Hey, who do I go see? Yeah. Um, and you know, from this, you know, this woman I trust so much who had such wonderful results with, uh, with the team, uh, at St. Luke's hospital in Kansas city. And so she was able to refer me to her, uh, her doctors, which, you know, that made me feel so much more comfortable, um, having that kind of connection. And so, but even before I made that appointment, um, my 23 and me results finally showed up. Um, and so I was so excited to get that and I'm laying in bed, checking email in the mornings. I don't know about you, but I completely grabbed my phone first thing in the morning and I check email <laughs> yes. and I'm just, you know, here I am in my jammies checking my email and my 23 me came in and I thought, this is so exciting. Yay. You know, and it, what's it going to say? And sure enough, it says, you know, you are 99% Ashkenazi Jew, which is like, okay, that's right. Like, already knew that. This Thanks so much. Me. This was not, you know, um, best $100 I ever a, spent. A, a whole genetic subtype, um, uh, which basically means Eastern European. Um, but um, so I thought, oh, this is interesting. Okay. The ancestry is nothing, but nothing, you know, outstanding. I was kind of hoping I would find out I was 3%, you know, something else that I didn't know. About, <laughs> right. Um, so that, that would be interesting, but really, you know, I was nothing surprising and, uh, I got into the health reporting, um, and it walked me through this very, like, we're not doctors, this, you have, you know, you yeah. want to follow up with a doctor. It's a very specific, well-plotted out release of this information. They don't just tell you, you have this thing and, you know, make you panic, but it, you know, it let me know, hey, yeah, you are very positive clear. for a deletion. Um, in the BRCA2, uh, I have a BRCA2 mutation, um, which in my case is a deletion. Um, so that was, uh, just terrifying. I mean, I, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, first of all, like you're, you're doing this out of just pure curiosity and fun. Yes. Um, you know, I've also done 23andMe, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there are, lots of limitations in terms of the 23andMe. There are hundreds and hundreds of strands of the BRCA mutations. And I think they test, you know, maybe five. Um, you know, yes. so I know the I know the exact disclaimer that you're talking about, um, mm-hmm. you know, but I do have the BRCA2 mutation. Uh, mm-hmm. Mine was not detected through 23andMe. But mm-hmm. I can't imagine, um, you know, for me getting that information from my my geneticist was Mm -hmm. hard enough, but then to get it from, you know, an email or an app or something like that, unsuspecting, you know, I was kind of in the middle of, of, you know, I knew I had breast cancer. We just didn't Mm -hmm. know where it came from. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like, what did you, what did you do? Were you, I, well, like I said, I was lying in bed in my jammies <laughs> and, um, and I, I read it and I went, uh, okay, um, well, um, uh, I don't think I can say that word on your podcast, Melissa. Um, <laughs> start <laughs> with an F. <laughs> I, I added, there were, there were a couple of curse words and I, I, cause I, I was pretty overwhelmed and, yeah. and, and alone in that moment. Yeah. And, um, and so I found that to be. Very overwhelming, particularly because I, I had 
I was about a week out from being told you do not have breast cancer. Absolutely. I mean, you were, and now in I'm that being told, of, yeah. Yeah. And Happiness. now I'm reading, Hey, you know, next time you might not be so lucky is kind of how I received that. Well, and were you the, like, had they ever done any genetic testing for any of your family? I mean, I, I, you know, I know that there's a, a family history of cancers. Did they right. ever do any kind of genetic testing? Was that anything that was ever brought up to you? Well, you know, what's really interesting about this, I, you know how they say when it rains, it pours. And um, right that same month, my grandmother, who's in her 90s, um, was diagnosed with colon cancer. And so they started doing a whole bunch of genetic testing with her. Um, and thank God, and she's still with us. She beat colon cancer in her 90s. Remarkable, oh, um, remarkable lady. Yeah. And we, so, but they, of course, started doing genetic testing. But she had had, this is my maternal grandmother, had had breast cancer, but this was so long. I mean, my mom was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when she had cancer, there was no genetic testing. And so in my generation of the family, no one has experienced this yet. So all of the cancers in the family have been in our older family members or family members who have since passed. And so those things just weren't available um, when they were in treatment. So this was really a, a first identifier for us as a family. Um, And that's, that's a, that's a whole separate thing that people kind of don't talk about because when you get this, I don't know, a genetic result isn't really a diagnosis, you know, it's information. Um, But when you receive this information of, hey, you are BRCA2 positive, it it means that your siblings, if if they're your, you know, full siblings, have a 50-50 chance of being BRCA2 positive also. Right. And that's not just a risk for women. It's a risk for men. Men with BRCA2 mutations have all sorts of other um, cancer risks, like prostate cancer and uh, I believe skin cancer as well. Yes. It's so it's, it's so it's the kind of thing then you have to tell your whole family, right? Because then they have to make their own choices about whether they want to be tested or they don't want to be tested. But certainly we, you know, we have to share this knowledge. Sure. And, you know, now suddenly I'm telling, you know, all of my family, Hey, you know, here's the thing that now you have to think about, um, which is, you know, quite a challenging thing to share with your whole family and tell them, Hey, you might have this because I have this. Well, and it's, I mean, it's just mind boggling to me, quite honestly, that, you know, they, 23andMe tests so few of the strands, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and yet, you know, here you were in a position of, you know, you had found a lump, you knew that there was a history of cancer in your family, you'd gone Mm -hmm. and, you know, everything came back and, you know, it was benign and, you know, Mm -hmm. celebration, celebration. And then, all of a sudden you're kind of thrown back into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and even before you go to see the breast surgeon. Yeah, it was, it was a very, um, it was a very overwhelming month. And I, you know, I made, I right away I went and I made that appointment with the breast surgeon. I was so fortunate once again. Um, I just, I've been very fortunate this whole time to have wonderful support and excellent access to medical care. And, um, and a wonderfully supportive family and work family uh, who really helped me get through this. And that, that started right then. Everyone really had my back as I was in and out with appointments. And um, I went to see the breast surgeon and, you know, he examined me and this was a surgical breast oncologist. 
And he examined me for the benign lump to say, you know, that does or does not need to be excised. And I said, great. He said, that doesn't need to be excised. I'm not worried about that. I said, great. Also, by the way, Mr. Breast Surgeon, I just got my 23andMe results and it says I am BRCA2 positive. And he basically what he said to me is, I don't know how accurate that is because he, I was the first person that he had ever had walk in his office and say, I got 23andMe results that say I'm BRCA2 positive. What do I do? Um, and I, I believe the reason being that 23andMe only started testing for BRCA mutations in summer of 2019. And well, the surgical breast oncologist is not usually the first person you go see. Right. But 23andMe actually right? You go to your primary did. care. They send you to genetics. There's a path to that. But I was already going to see him because of the lump. So, so, but, so he, 23andMe actually mm-hmm. did do testing prior to 2019. So there's oh. actually a whole long backstory to this, which we're not going to get into. But okay. 23andMe used to do a full panel of, um, or more extensive, um, I don't know if I would say a full panel, but a more extensive, um, you know, search for mm-hmm. any kind of genetic mutation, because mm-hmm. I have a friend in Pittsburgh, her son um, took the test. And this was years and years and years ago when it was mm-hmm. first out and uh, found out that he had a BRCA mutation and then found mm-hmm. out that his mom had a BRCA mutation. So Ugh. yeah, what ended up happening is, you know, there's one big company that kind of oversaw everything in terms of genetic testing and it became a little complicated. So that's when 23andMe pulled back um, for the testing and then just recently was given approval to start testing again for interesting uh, yeah for the BRCA1 and the BRCA2 um but very very limited so again you know my 23andme says that I'm negative for a BRCA mm-hmm. mutation mm-hmm. but there are hundreds of strands of um you know BRCA mutations that are not being assessed on 23andme so i just want to i just want to make sure i throw that out there for the listeners um because i want people to understand that 23andme it's a great tool, um, but it is not extensive. And so if you're looking for an extensive genetic test, 23andMe is not it. That is such helpful information um, because it, as it was kind of explained to me, this was new to 23andMe in, in 20, uh, eight, or 2018. So that's so interesting. I did not know that whole backstory. Yeah, there is um, there is that backstory. So That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there it's... There are now different companies that do mm-hmm. the genetic testing. I know Color is one of them. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the genetic testing um, arena, you know, mm-hmm. was really kind of led by one company for a very, very long time. And then, um, yeah, 23andMe, um, I believe it was 23andMe, but one of them did pop in and started testing and they were like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> we have all the rights to uh, the genetic testing. So just for anybody that's listening, they, uh, it is limited. So, so interesting. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure you're the first to, for your, for your doctor. Yeah. I think because yeah, people go through that, you know, they go to your primary, you go to yeah. genetics and then you get sent to a surgeon. Right. Um, so, so I, you know, my path was a little weird, but that's okay. He, he just went ahead and he sent me to genetics. Yeah. Um, you know, he said, um, for the lump from the January lump, he wanted me to follow up in, 
uh, in six months for a, um, you know, for an ultrasound and, and mammogram with him because um, he wanted to keep an eye on it. Um, and he wanted to start managing that care. But then um, with regard to BRCA, he wanted me to go to genetics, um, which I did um, right away. And it, you know, everything seems to take two or three weeks. And you make an appointment, it's always kind of two or three weeks. When am I going to get my results? Two, three weeks. And um, so, you know, it's really this process. And by the time I went and saw genetics, um, it was uh, it was February. And um, I sat down with the geneticist at, uh, at St. Luke's. And, um, and she was lovely and so helpful and spent about an hour with me, just walking me through this. And Basically, I, I said, you know, is 23andMe reliable? And she said, if you have a positive result from 23andMe, it's just as reliable as the test that we're going to do. But we're going to do a test that tests for more. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. She said, you know, I, I remember saying this to me, you know, sure, it could be wrong. Your 23andMe could be wrong because somebody could have opened your, your test package and contaminated it. And, you know, and, you know, your neighbor spitting your 23andMe tube and in your mailbox, <laughs> aside from some crazy amount of tampering, it's the same kind of testing that they, um, they run through the hospital, but the hospital's testing is much more uh, extensive as you were saying. Yeah. And um, so she, she said, it's, if your 23andMe shows that you are BRCA2 positive, then we're going to proceed as if you are, but we are also going to confirm. And, um, so it was really interesting because I was able to pull up my results in the 23andMe app and show her the exact, um, scientific reporting as opposed to the layman's terms that I, I had read through. But of course she understood all of the, uh, all the technical reporting that was in there. And so she was able to explain to me that the deletion was sort of like if you, we're reading a sentence in a book and a single letter were removed from one word, but all the spacing remained the same. You'd be able to read for like another word or two, but then it's just not going to make sense at all. Right. And that those are my body's instructions for fighting breast cancer among, of course, some other cancers. Um, and so th that was the first time it had been explained to me that way. And it made sense to me. Um, of course, as a writer, I was very offended that I was now at risk for cancer because of a typo. Um, but I, um, <laughs> I, I found that wildly point. offensive. Uh, but it, it really, it made sense and it, it broke it down into human language that I could really understand yeah, um, I like as a non-medical professional. Um, so, you know, the next couple of months were, um, you know, I got my results. It was confirmed. And I started with all of the rounds of, of doctor appointments and, um, and all of the recommendations of what to do. And, uh, of course, every time um, I would go in, they'd say, okay, well, we need to do a scan before surgery. We, every time they do a scan, they find a thing. Every time they find a thing, they want to biopsy that thing. Um, you know, I went in for one biopsy that was supposed to be a, uh, an ultrasound-guided biopsy. They couldn't find the thing that they had seen in the uh, MRI. So then I had to go in for an MRI-guided biopsy, which is entirely unpleasant experience. Um. And I, I found myself living in this constant state of feeling that I did and did not have breast cancer at every moment. Yeah. And that's not a and good state to be in. It is not. And certainly I did not, you know, wish to have breast cancer. And I, I was grateful that each time that my results came back clear, it was that I knew that my risk was very high. 
And so I knew that at every moment, even though I would get a clear result, I, I felt this, uh, this deep anxiety that, okay, I'm clear today, but something will start growing tomorrow. Sure. And I'll be six months until my next scan. And then what? And living in that, uh, in that space was, um, was kind of paralyzing for me, um, as a, as a woman, as a professional, as a mom, um, just as a human being, just to constantly be so worried about something that I had no control over, um, was a real challenge. And the guidance that I was being given was, I really, you know, should look at having a prophylactic, uh, bilateral mastectomy. And, I should do that before the age of 45 was the guidance, um, along with um, a self-injectomy and oophorectomy, meaning um, yeah. fallopian tubes and ovaries. And um, I, I got that information. I was, I was just turning 44. Uh, you know, I was a month before I would turn 44. And I thought, well, now I'm really up against it. You know, um, if I want this to be as effective as possible, I need to make this decision soon. And, uh, as I kind of weighed my options, uh, there just came a point where I had had too many scans and too many scares. And I just said, let's just do this. Just book it, book the surgery. Uh, everything else will work out. Yeah. I'll, I'll figure it out. I hear that a lot. But I just, um, um I knew I could not live in that, in, in that in-between space anymore. Right. Yeah. And a lot of previvors, um, have that same experience. So, you mm -hmm. know, for me, the, the BRCA, um, mutation information came after I was already diagnosed. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's really easy for me to sit on, you know, the other side of that and say, well, this is what I would do, you know, if I had known that information before, but mm -hmm. I don't really know, you know, we don't really know. Um, right. and so, you know, kind of going back to, remembering for myself all of those appointments and, you know, just waiting for that next piece of information and the other shoe to drop. And, you know, it was, um, I can, obviously I wasn't in that space, but I can um, relate to why, you know, people would not want to live in that space um, right. simply to, you know, kind of preserve their breasts. Cause there are, there are many people out there who are like, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, yep. But we don't, we don't stand in your shoes every day right. to know what that anxiety is like. Um, mm -hmm. So I do hear that very often from previvors that it's really genuinely, you know, has a lot to do with the anxiety of the scans. It, it really does. I, I believe that it takes a real toll on women's mental health, uh, having that kind of information. And you want that information. It's powerful information. It's, I'm so grateful that I have this information and that I was able to be proactive. I, as a, as an individual, I, I have lots of allergies, lots of medication allergies, very highly sensitive kind of person as a patient. Um, I remember after my mastectomy, uh, my surgeon called, the plastic surgeon called to check on me that evening and I was having trouble with one of the medications and he said he had gotten to know me pretty well at that point. And he said, well, seeing as you're allergic to air, how about we skip that one? <laughs> and, um, and, and he, he's, you know, he was of course exaggerating, but yeah. it, it's, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm that patient, right? I'm the one who has the reaction. I'm the one who's allergic to the thing. I'm the one who the typical path doesn't quite work. And so you know, I had a very hard time with my mastectomy. Um, 
about five weeks after my, uh, four weeks after my mastectomy, I went in for one of my weekly checkups and I had necrosing tissue and right there in the office, um, my uh, surgeon did a, um, did a wound revision. And then I went in the next week, uh, to get checked up on again. And he said, we have to take out your, uh, we have to take out your expander. We have to explant today. You're having surgery today. And, um, I, I, I remember looking at him and of course his whole like coterie of, um, of team members because he always has students and, um, wonderful PA who works with them and a great team, but there's probably five or six people in the room and I'm half naked as usual. And, um, I, he says to me, you know, it's, it's infected and, um, we have to explant. And he starts going through these options with me of you can, we can explant and just totally take out the, uh, the expander and do a flat closure and then wait a few months, let you heal and then put in a new expander and then eventually do your exchange for implants. Or we can try to go direct to a smaller implant and try and let your body fight this infection and heal. And I, I just remember looking at him in this kind of tunnel vision thinking two big things. One, thank God I did this yeah. because if I'm having this much trouble with a prophylactic mastectomy, I cannot fathom how, how my body would have reacted to having to go through chemotherapy or radiation um, or any of the other numerous treatments for breast cancer. And so I was phenomenally grateful that I was in the hands of this team already because um, it really was proving to me that this path of least resistance was the right road, even if it was a bumpy one. And the second thing was, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to double down on this decision that I made months ago, which was to trust this team. And so I looked at the um, plastic surgeon, um, who's uh, Dr. Spencer Egan um, at St. Luke's in, in Kansas City, who's a wonderful surgeon. And um, I told Dr. Egan, I trust you to make this decision for me. Um, I don't have, I had months and months to decide about what kind of mastectomy, what kind of reconstruction, how, what results am I looking for? You're telling me I have an hour, um, to make this choice. And I have no yeah. way of doing that That's intelligently. Hefty. That's really so hefty I, in an hour. I'm sorry. That's a really hefty decision to have to make in an hour. I mean, that it just is. is. And I just yeah. said, I, I trust you and here are my goals. I would like to have breasts that would be nice. But if, but my health is paramount to me. And if I need to go with a flat closure, then go with a flat closure. And if you're able to preserve and do an implant, I, I'm, I trust you to do what is going to be best for my overall health. And we will worry about the cosmetics when I'm better. Yeah. And he said, that's great because really a lot of this is, isn't going to be able to be decided until I get in and see what we're dealing with. And, um, so, you know, an hour later I was in the OR and, um, I, I remember being in pre-op, um, and it was just such a whirlwind, but I remember being in pre-op and they said, okay, so you've had a mastectomy. I said, yes. They asked, did you, did you have any lymph nodes removed? I said, yes, on the left. And they put this temporary tattoo on my arm, uh, to indicate no testing, no, no needles, no blood pressure, no injections, no IV, nothing on the left. Right. And, um, 
And it was really interesting to me because I had, from the time of my mastectomy, been wearing a new medical ID bracelet. Of course, I work for Lawrence Hope Medical ID Jewelry, so I have a great resource for getting a new <laughs> medical ID when I need one. Um, but I knew, because I've worked for this company, I've worked for Lawrence Hope for seven years, and I knew from my seven years experience in medical ID jewelry that lymphedema is a serious risk when it comes to uh, when it comes to breast cancer. Now, of course, I'm not a medical professional. This is from my experience as a medical ID jewelry provider. And from talking to all of our customers and talking to medical professionals over the years, you know, what I have learned is that there's primary lymphedema, there's secondary lymphedema. Secondary lymphedema, of course, is very commonly associated with breast cancer and breast cancer treatments such as radiation and um, lumpectomies, mastectomies, et cetera, um, anything that impacts the lymphatic system, um, such as lymph node removal, but even radiation um, can damage the lymphatic system in the breast. Right. Well, and even There's, taking just one um, mm -hmm. can, if not, you know, necessarily immediately, and I didn't know this until, you know, I had my interview with um, Josh Levin from Lymphedeva, mm -hmm. is that, yep. you know, it can be 20 years later when you start to experience um, lymphedema. So yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, you know, it, it only takes one. It just takes one disruption to that lymphatic system um, and it may not be immediate. That's right, um, that's right. And that's why um, protecting your impacted side is so important. And, um, and because it can develop years down the line and, uh, you know, and of course, I, I do want to say it. We are focused on breast cancer today. I I, I do not want to you know overlook how uh, how impactful it is for people who have lymphedema from many other. Oh, factors, absolutely. Right? Um, right. People have a variety of cancers and cancer treatments that um, that impact the lymphatic system and can cause lymphedema. Um, for the purposes of, of this conversation, of course, we're focused on breast, um, but. I, I knew this and I was already wearing my lymphedema alert. Um, I immediately when I was having my mastectomy, I went, I, now I need after that. And they had removed the, uh, removed some, a lymph node on my left. I updated my medical ID. I no BP IV needles left on because why risk it? Right. Yeah. Um, there's nothing that just, you know, before, and if, if I were to be involved in any sort of an emergency, a trauma situation, Obviously, first responders are going to do what they need to do to save your life. But when there is that moment that they can really look at you and they can check your ID and they can know, hey, if we can use the right arm, that's better, then that's information that I want them to have. Absolutely. Um, I mean, because they're they're really just going to do whatever it is, exactly what you said, you know, do whatever mm -hmm. it is that's necessary to save your life. So, you know, mm -hmm. they may not necessarily be aware that you have any kind of restrictions in terms of mm -hmm. taking blood pressure or taking blood um, from mm -hmm. a specific side, you mm -hmm. know, they're, they're just going to do it mm -hmm. because, you know, how, how else would they know? So I think, yep. you know, obviously the medical bracelets are, you know, a great tool to have, um, you know, in order to inform, you know, first responders or even, you know, even if it's a situation where somebody goes into an emergency room and, you know, maybe, maybe it's not from a first responder, but you know, who, whatever the situation might be, you mm -hmm. know, somebody may not have the ability to communicate that information, um, mm -hmm. 
you know, to the doctors. So yeah, I mean, I, I see so many benefits for having those medical bracelets. I, I, I appreciate that. I certainly do as well. You know, I, I'm fortunate to get to do this for a living and, and do work that I believe in. And, you know, I think I believe that our products are, are phenomenally helpful to our customers who are just the most amazing people and they share their stories with us. And Lauren Soap is so very fortunate to have these incredible customers who write us letters still or an email us and call and let us know their stories. And my, my medical ID saved my life or my medical ID prevented me from being, you know, treated this way or given this medication. And knowing that, you know, our, our products are impactful and they're able to help people in those moments is just a real gift to be able to put my daily energy into that. And, um, I, I've, you know, I, I just believe so strongly that taking a proactive approach in our healthcare is a daily thing, right? So whether it's making sure that you're doing self exams on your breasts, whether it's eating right and exercising, or it's putting on your medical ID in the morning before you head out for the day, there's all these little things that we can do to protect ourselves. And this is another one of them. Yeah. I know I feel better uh, when I have my medical ID on. And of course, after seven years with this company, I feel positively naked if I walk out the door with my medical <laughs> ID on. Um, and it's, but it, it really is impactful. And when I was in that moment before my uh, emergency surgery and I said to them, hey, um, yes, they did take a lymph node and they immediately put this um, no contact uh, temporary tattoo on my left arm because of course they want me to take all my jewelry off in the um, pre-op. And it really underlined for me how very, very important it is to wear uh, a medical ID because I was able to share that information in that moment, right? It was not an emergency in the, I'm not, well, well, it was an emergency. It was not, (laughs) it was, I was conscious and alert and awake and able to participate in my care. So they were not relying on my medical ID at that moment. Um, But had I not been able to participate in my care, they would have been able to get that same information from my medical ID and they would not have taken my blood pressure or put my IV in my left arm, right. which while that is unlikely to have immediately caused lymphedema would have created such anxiety for me knowing, wow, I just had this mastectomy. I'm trying so hard to protect my left side. And then I went in and they did all the treatments on my left. And if only I had communicated that information, right? Um, so to alleviate that that stress and anxiety of knowing that so much trauma had happened to my arm, that alone um, is so is so valuable. And and I've been in for blood work since then. And I wear my uh, medical ID on my left arm uh, because that is where um, my lymphedema alert needs to you know belongs really. And what's great about that is that if you lay your arm out for um, for your blood pressure to be taken or for blood to be taken, and the first thing that someone sees is your medical ID, they're going to ask you about it. And it's a good visual reminder for me. Oh, wait, wrong arm. Yeah. Let's switch. Yeah. And um, because, you know, the further out I get from my mastectomy, quite frankly, and thankfully, it's not the first thing on my mind every moment. Right. 
Yeah. And it gets further and further away um, mm-hmm. for, for some, not always, but um, no. you know, I'm 13 years out. And so mm-hmm. it's not necessarily anything that I think about, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I had three lymph nodes. Here you go. You know, whatever arm you can get a, a stick in um, is fine mm-hmm. by me. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think, um, I think that's a, a great tool, like I'd said before to have um, when you've, when you've gone through something like this and, you know, again, not to minimize anything else for anyone else, um, no. you know, but specific to just this conversation, um, mm-hmm. as we know, related to breast cancer. Yeah. I, I think that's so important. It really, lymphedema does impact so many people, uh, with so many conditions, uh, in this particular, uh, conversation with, in, with regard to breast cancer, I think it's just such an important piece of information because I, I waited during my mastectomy prep process. I waited to see if anyone would tell me to wear a medical ID. Um, I really was curious when that comes up in the process and when someone would talk to me about lymphedema. And it really didn't happen until I brought it up um, right real close to my surgery. Um, and I waited because I was curious where that falls in the process. And it really didn't come up. And I think it's because it's kind of an aftercare thing. Yeah, it really doesn't. Um, it doesn't pop up in the conversation. I mm-hmm. I honestly didn't even know that I would be at risk for lymphedema with only mm-hmm. having three lymph nodes removed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, nobody had that conversation with me. And if they did, I just didn't hear it. Um, right. You know, so maybe I shouldn't say that I didn't have that conversation, but, you know, I just didn't hear it. I mean, I was thrown right. a lot of information. And so it mm-hmm. wasn't anything that you know, stuck for me if it was talked about. So, yeah. And I think that it may also have been a thing where it wasn't discussed with me because I, you know, they all knew me. They know, they, they knew me, they knew my boss, they knew what we did. Like they knew, I knew that, knew all about this. Um, And that may be why no one talked to me about it. Um, Or it may be that it's something that's planned to be discussed afterward. And I brought it up before. Um, But it's, it's an interesting thing that, you will, you meet breast cancer survivors and previvors and so often, um, well, I, I see this in the business, people come to us for a lymphedema alert and it's been years since their treatment and someone just told them, Hey, why aren't you wearing a lymphedema alert? And it's because they didn't know. Right. And so I, to me, if anything really positive in, in the world can come from my going through this process. I really hope that it's just to let people know this is a risk and there are ways to mitigate it. Um, and if you can mitigate a risk like that with such a simple thing, I, I don't know why we wouldn't. 100%. So where do, um, where do people go to learn more about Lauren's Hope and the medical bracelets and the IDs? Um, where can people find that information? Sure. So Lawrence Hope is uh, is online at www.laurenshope.com. It's just like the girl's name, L-A-U-R. <laughs> Sorry, it's just like the girl's name, L-A-U-R-E-N-S-H-O-P-E.com. And um, and on the site, you can uh, you can scroll down to our customer resource center at the bottom, and uh, there's a whole section on who needs a medical ID. There's a whole page there uh, dedicated to lymphedema and uh, and to breast cancer, and you can find out more there. All of our styles are custom engravable, so 
you know, mine has my name and, um, and my lymphedema alert my, that, that it impacts my left side. It also has my medication allergies and, um, and my emergency contact information because there is only one you. And so your med- medical ID is customized for you. You can put whatever you need to put on there. Um, there are so many commonly used abbreviations, so we're able to help people with that. Um, our customer service is super happy to help people walk through that first purchase in particular, but always happy to help uh, because we know it's a lot of new information and we can walk you through that process one-on-one. Yeah, well, that's great. So, um, you know, I I have one question though, because I certainly don't want to um, end the podcast without knowing, um, you know, did your surgery go okay? Like was everything, um, you know, the reconstruction or whatever you opted for, did that end well for you or are you still kind of in process of that? I, I have become kind of a believer that I don't know that there's ever a done. No, there's definitely not. (laughs) You know, I, I, I don't think that we, I don't know that it'll feel finished to me. Um, I haven't made a decision on tattooing or any of that, but as for the, you know, the emergency surgery, I was super fortunate and was able to, to get through that well. And then I had my reconstruction in October uh, of 2019. And I'm so grateful that I went through all that last year. Um, and I'm not, I I just feel for people who are kind of in the middle of that process right now with COVID. Um, and, uh, and so I'm, you know, I'm healed and I'm well, and I'm just giving myself some time now to, I have, you know, time to decide, do I want any revisions? Do I want tattoos? Do I want any of that? And the nice thing is that those are, those are not decisions I have to make today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad, um, you know, I definitely wanted to know what the kind of, you know, not the necessarily end end result is, but, um, you know, where, where you were, um, in terms of that procedure that, that took place for you. And I, I think, you know, there are so many things that, you brought up, um, you know, during our conversation, you know, obviously we wanted to talk about Lauren's Hope and the medical IDs um, and the need for that, which is great information. And, you know, hopefully our listeners will um, seek that, um, you know, go to your website and learn more there and and purchase a medical ID because we never, we never really know. Um, but the other thing that you really brought up too is, um, you know, just the fact that, you know, we... I don't want to say we because I'm not part of this, but there can be some ideas within the breast cancer community, um, you know, that that it's a drastic decision to, you know, decide to remove your breast. And it's, it is a, a decision that you have to make, but you have to make it for you um, and not based on what's popular or what's not popular. Um, and the other thing too is that, you know, with or without breast cancer, it's emotional. Um, it's, you know, physical, there can be complications still, you know, when breast cancer isn't involved. So I think you brought up so much good information that I believe will be really helpful for our listeners, especially those who, you know, maybe they've had an identified gene mutation, but have not had a breast cancer diagnosis. So thank you for that. No, thank you for having me. I, I truly appreciate it. It's really, I think you kind of hit the nail right on the head there that it, you know, it can feel like a drastic decision to make. Um, but when you walk through it, um, at least for me, I knew that that was the right path for, for me individually, um, for my 
mental health, for my own well-being and my my sense of well-being, but also, quite frankly, for my children and knowing that I'm young and, you know, at last year at 44, I knew I, I could heal from that. And I didn't want to wait until I was 54 or 64 and sure. possibly less able to heal from uh, from surgery or from treatment. Uh, so I really wanted to be proactive in that in that path. And I'm grateful I had that opportunity. Yeah, well, I am too. Um, and I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your story um, and talking about Lauren's Hope. Um, I know that this is really going to hit, um, you know, somebody that's listening um, and just help them through their own process. Thank you so much, Melissa. It's really been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.